Why, hello there, future fans! It is the week of April 9th, and we have some new movies for you. This week we have the start of a brand new series straight from Universal, one of the most awkward comedies I have ever seen the trailer for, as well as some news that Snarf Chris, Critter, and Danger will love. It's the week of April 9th, and this is episode 46 of Future Flicks. Alright everyone, welcome! Welcome to the show! This is Future Flicks, and I'm your host, Billiam. So let's start out, like we always do, by giving you some information just in case you're new. And if you're new, welcome to the show. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you stick around. And if you're a returning listener, I'm sorry you have to go through this each and every time. But at least I try to make it quick. There's that. So this is a show called Future Flicks. On this show, I go over every movie that's being released during the week. I tell you what it's about, who's in it, give you my thoughts on it, and then I will give the movie a score, which I call the Billiam's Interest Level Score, aka the Bill Score. This score is only based on the trailer and anything I've seen or read about the movie. But let's start this episode with some housekeeping. You can listen to me on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and any podcast listening app, as well as the Somewhat Nerdy website. That's somewhatnerdy.com. You can reach me on Twitter, BilliamSWN. Email me at BilliamReviews at gmail.com. And look at pictures, and I've gotten better, so not just my cat anymore. Instagram, BilliamSWN there as well. And last week, I would like to thank everyone, because last week we had a spike in listeners, and it was it was a noticeable spike. We had, in one seven-day period, about 1,200 listens. And I'd like to thank all of you. I would like to thank you for your support. I'd like to thank you for spreading the good word of Future Flicks, if that is what you've done. And if you do, if you tell your friends, look, I have this great podcast I listen to with this super movie nerd who talks about everything. He goes on rants. It's it's just delightful. And he's totally not drunk the whole time. But if you do spread the word, just let them know, hey, you can start with the latest episode. You can go back to the beginning after if you want and listen to from episode one. But I believe now is when I'm at my best. I, I think every episode I do it just gets better and better. Sometimes minutely. Sometimes maybe it doesn't move. It stay, it plateaus. But I think I am better now than I was in the beginning. So when I look at my numbers on SoundCloud, which is very unreliable, but when I look at my SoundCloud numbers, I see episode one is still getting listens and I cringe going, oh my God, stop listening. Stop listening to that one. Listen to the newer episodes. A, it's more relevant. So you're going to get caught up on the latest news and the latest movies that way. But also I'm so much better now. Early on, I tried to do the announcer voice all the time. But now, if you can tell, my voice goes through, you know, wibbly-wobbly-ness. Because words and junk. So yes, if you if you tell your friends to listen to Future Flicks, or ask them, you know, or command them. I don't know what kind of relationship you have with them. If you suggest to your friends to listen to Future Flicks, which I would appreciate, just tell them, hey, start with the latest episode. You don't need to go all the way back. But if you want to, go ahead. I mean, don't let me stop you. I appreciate it. I appreciate any listens, but I am at the best now. Let's move on to the news and that story I was talking about in the opening. So according to comicbookmovie.com, which is a website that talks about, honestly, not just comic book movies, just you know, nerdy stuff. Dan Aykroyd is blaming Paul Feig for the Ghostbusters failure for completely logical reasons, too. He isn't just being a dick about it. He claims that on numerous occasions, the director ignored advice from the executive producers. Aykroyd, as well as being one of the co-writers, was an executive 
executive producer. So he ignored what they said or advice they gave. And when they tested the movie, it showed that they needed these scenes that Aykroyd and the other executive producers said, hey, we need this. So they go back and do reshoots. But here is one point in this story where Sony actually steps up to Paul Feig's defense. It's that... Dan Aykroyd said the reshoots cost 30 to $40 million, where Sony stepped up and said actually it was only three or four million. That part aside, we still have the case of a director who wasn't listening to the executive producers. So Dan Aykroyd wrote this, or co-wrote this, and was a producer on it, so it looks like he couldn't get his vision for the film out there because Paul Feig got in the way. Now, Aykroyd did jump to the defense of the female cast saying he he really loved them. He thought they did a great job. It doesn't place any of the blame on them, which is something that I truly believe too. I thought the actresses were good in it. I liked them. And while I enjoyed the movie, which is something that the somewhat nerdy radio guys never let me forget that, uh, that they disagree with me on, but even though I enjoyed it, it still could have been a lot better. And I really wish we saw Dan Aykroyd's vision for this movie. I think it would have been a lot better. The next story is a sad one, and I don't know who first broke it, so I'm not going to cite a source for this, but I'll just say that Peter Salas, the voice of Wallace in Wallace and Gromit, has passed away at the age of 96 in a London nursing home with his family by his side. In, huh, that's interesting, but also f***ing weird news, there's going to be a Breaking Bad virtual reality project for the PS4. Creator Vince Gilligan is working with Sony as we speak, and details for the project are so far very scarce. This according to Variety. In, well, no sh news, this from The Guardian, apparently no one cares about the sequel to Avatar. Weird, right? I, I'm not going to talk about what they said in this article because it's stupid. The movie, the first one came out in 2009 and now a franchise has been announced. No one cares anymore. This isn't news. And as for something that is news, but still no one cares about, director Neil Bloomkamp, known for Elysium, Chappie, and District 9, is officially stepping away from Alien 5. And yes, this is another Alien movie, as in Alien, Aliens, Prometheus, all that jazz. He was supposedly in talks to do a fifth Alien movie and is now stepping away. With the less than stellar reception for the latest Alien movie, we'll see if even Ridley Scott returns to the series. But in good news, or what may be good news, Neil Bloomkamp has not ruled out a District 9 spinoff. Will we ever see what happens to the Vickus? Only time will tell. Now for our last story, there's some good news. Patty Jenkins has already signed on to direct Wonder Woman 2. This according to Collider. And now on to the next segment, friends, which, say it with me, is the trailer trove. Avast, and welcome to the trailer trove. We have a first trailer for a movie called American Maid starring Tom Cruise about a pilot who is contracted by the CIA to work for them and eventually works for the DEA and Pablo Escobar as well. This movie is about the, what they claim to be true, shenanigans this man got into. We have what could be the final trailer for Baby Driver. This one is called Tequila, which is a play on words based on the song Tequila. This movie is going to be amazing. I am willing to bet money on this. 
The next trailer that we got to see is a remake for Murder on the Orient Express. This has its first trailer, and it has me eating my words. I don't think I ever said it on the show, but when I heard that this was being remade, my eyes just about rolled into the back of my head. I couldn't believe it. I was almost certain it's going to be sh but this trailer looks pretty good. When I heard Johnny Depp was going to be in it, I was so turned off by the idea because I like Johnny Depp, but the idea of him playing Hercule Poirot. All right, if that sounded a little weird, that m me saying that name sounded weird is because it took me so long to say it. I don't know why, but it was really difficult to say. So I had to, I had to record myself saying Hercule. Then I had to record myself saying Poirot and then edit it together because my God, God, I could not say it. Because remember, kids, this is French, so P-O-I-R-O-T is pronounced Poirot. P-W-A-R-O-H if we're spelling it phonetically. Anyway, the idea of Johnny Depp playing that character just was nuts to me because though I like Johnny Depp a lot, I do not want him for that role. Good thing is, he is not playing the role. He is playing a different character. The one playing the world-famous detective is Kenneth Branagh, who was in v movies like Valkyrie, Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit, Mac one of the Macbeth tellings and he played victor frankenstein in mary shelley's frankenstein that's the one with the performance by julia roberts to be considered one of her worst anyway the movie has an amazing cast it looks great check out the trailer and that was actually it that was it for the trailer trove so let's jump right into the movies with the first movie this week called beatrice at dinner beatrice or beatrice is a holistic medicine practitioner and after visiting a very wealthy client her car breaks down she's invited to stay for dinner and meets her client's husband and friends who all look down on her and show the ugly side of the rich upper class this stars selma hayek from grown-ups connie Britton from nashville john lithgow from interstellar and chloe seveny from big love I'm glad they went with this title because the alternate title would have been Cringe, the movie. When I first saw this trailer, what surprised me the most was that the guy who wrote Nacho Libre School of, and School of Rock wrote this. Why is that so surprising, you may ask? Because Beatrice at dinner is considered a comedy. And if you watch the trailer, nothing about it looks funny. N not just in the fact that it's a stupid comedy. Or like an episode of Big Bang Theory, like not that kind of not funny. But honestly, it looks like a drama. It looks like the cringiest drama I have ever seen. A bunch of stuck-up rich white people sitting around at dinner patting themselves on the back, realizing that this Mexican worker that's with them has nothing in common with them and doesn't understand what it's like to be rich and white. From what I can tell from the trailer, somehow Selma Hayek's character and John Lithgow's characters know each other. And John Lithgow, from what I put together, did something that somehow affected Selma Hayek's character. And so while she's angry, while she wants something done about it, he obviously doesn't see it that way. Another trailer even implies that she starts to get revenge somehow, be it like a stupid prank or something, or even kind of hinted at murder. So not only is the subject matter not funny, not only was the trailer not funny, but it takes a special type of comedy to have the idea of murder be funny. This looks like a bad idea all around. This looks like somehow this idea was sold to a studio saying, hey, we have an idea for this comedy. And the studio was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. This sounds good. And then when they made the movie, they just took all the comedy out. Because 
once again, there was nothing funny, nothing that even made me smile in this trailer. It looks more like a movie based on a social justice standpoint, where we have Beatrice, who is just having dinner with these people and didn't even want to have dinner with them, but was kind of felt like she had to stay. So she is there, doesn't want to be there, and now she feels really out of place. And that's just going to make any of the viewers feel out of place. This isn't going to be a movie to watch. This film is going to have a very, very small target audience. So maybe, just maybe, you know someone who may want to see this. But for the most part, this isn't going to be a movie to see. This is going to be a very skippable movie. This is going to be a movie that when I'm done talking about this, you will hopefully never have to think about again. Even if this was presented as a drama, or not presented as, but listed as a drama on IMDb and Wikipedia and all those sources, this would still be a movie that's skippable because it doesn't look like it's presented well. This looks like a movie where the writer, this random dude, just stood on a soapbox and said, rich white people suck. This woman, she's a real person. You know, the writer could have even gone all bizarro land on us and have and have it be some rich minorities being a dick to some white working class person. It still would be a bad movie. Don't see this. Don't ever see this. I will never see this. Beatrice at dinner gets a one out of 11. The next movie on this week's list is called Awakening the Zodiac. A couple wins a bid on a storage locker and finds evidence inside that hints at the identity of the Zodiac killer. The couple investigates since there's still a handsome reward for any information and finds that the Zodiac killer may still be out there and be on their trail. This stars Shane West from Salem, Leslie Bibb from Law Abiding Citizen, and Matt Craven from NCIS. I have to be honest, when I first saw the trailer, I thought this was a movie starring the young couple from Storage Wars, or, you know, young couple in comparative, comparatively, I don't know how old you are. The blonde chick with her D-bag husband, turns out I was wrong, and I'm glad I was wrong, because I thought I was going to have to say that those two were, at the very least, mediocre actors. Shane West and Leslie Bibb do good work. This trailer didn't really show them doing that. Of course, this movie could just not show them doing that. This does look like something I'll want to see. I love stories about these unsolved crimes, that, and even solved ones, that aren't very well known. Or the unsolved ones that are really well known. These are epic stories, and I like the fact that it's not trying to answer who the Zodiac was. Okay, this will, but obviously take a creative license with it. Of course, Zodiac was based on a true story, but they kind of hinted at who the Zodiac was. But going into this one, you know that they're not trying to tell the real story. Like, Zodiac was fiction, great movie, but still... There's no way to tell if it was right. It was just the artist's guess, or the, the writer's guess. And not even guess, really. It was just what the writer wanted for the script. And for this, it's obviously not taking that same route. This is going to be a movie that's going to focus more on the suspense of these people being chased by who could be the Zodiac Killer, or it could just be some sick person who knows what they have. Maybe the owner of the storage locker, or someone who knows where the owner got their stuff. You know, I'm sorry, I was completely wrong. We do know who the Zodiac Killer is. 
We do. It was Ted Cruz, right? I thought that was answered. So come on, Awakening the Zodiac. Get good. We know already. This is just a thriller horror movie about Ted Cruz killing a bunch of people. <laughs> That's all it is. Uh, this is a crime thriller that just teeters on the edge of horror. I, I know I just said thriller horror, but it really it's a crime thriller. Uh, based on the definition of horror, a horror seeks to elicit a psychological reaction through the use of fear. This movie does rely on fear, you know, jump scares, people being chased. So that's why it just, just teeters on the edge of being a full-on horror movie. The fact that the type of fear it tries to elicit is using suspense makes it lean more towards thriller. But the sad thing for movies like this is that unless you are a huge true crime buff and you like anything related to them, no matter how fictional it is, you are going to want to skip this movie in theaters because it's not going to be worth the $10 for one showing. If anything, pay a little more. What's the going rate for Blu-rays and DVDs nowadays? Like 15 to 20 bucks for a new one? It'd be much better to pay that, you know, up to 10 bucks more to watch it whenever you want, or hope that a streaming service gets it so you don't have to pay anything. I really think that movies like this should allow their tickets to be cheaper. When, hey, all these movies from this company, because they never do big blockbuster movies, all the tickets are going to be five bucks. So come see our movie. It's not great, but it's not bad. And it's half the price of a regular movie ticket. I would be more willing to see these movies. True, I would still have to think of the cost of gas and there would be the snacks I would have to buy because you can't see a movie without snacks, right? But at the same time, it'd be nice to see a movie for cheaper, especially one that would never get me in the theater at full price. Awakening the Zodiac looks like a by-the-numbers thriller that's reliable but just not good enough to warrant a lot of effort to see. If you ever see this on sale or on a streaming service, sure, watch it. But now, there's no way. Awakening the Zodiac looks like a by-the-numbers thriller that's reliable but just not good enough to warrant a lot of effort to see. If you ever see this on sale or on a streaming service, sure, watch it. But now, no way. The trailer made it look like it builds tension really well, which is great, and it's also exactly why I'm suggesting this movie at all instead of it just being a hard pass. Awakening the Zodiac gets a 6.5 out of 11. Next up, future fans, we have a movie called The Hunter's Prayer. An assassin is sent to kill a young girl but can't go through with it. Instead, he helps a girl survive and avenge the death of her family. This stars Sam Worthington from Everest and O'Day Rush from Goosebumps. We have seen this movie before so many times. The first time it was called Leon the Professional. Maybe even not the first time. Who knows the first time this story actually came around, but that's the first time I remember seeing it. This is just an overplayed idea now. An assassin gets a conscience and can't kill a kid or finds a kid on a mission somehow and then does everything possible to save the kid or help the kid on their quest. We've seen this. We know the story. It's familiar. The only thing this movie has going for it is the fact that Sam Worthington can do action well. This looks like a well-shot film. That's about it. Some of the characters seem like caricatures. The trailer didn't even try to make this look new at all. The trailer had moments of words flashing on the screen. The first was, fight to survive. Okay, that's fine. That makes sense, right? We get that. You have to fight for your survival. Great. The next and final set of words was, hunt to kill. Excuse me? What? Sure, hunt doesn't always imply killing. You can hunt for a job, you can hunt for Red October, you can hunt for a better movie to watch. But in this case, what the f*** else is it going to mean? Hunt to tell them they hurt your feelings. Hunt to tell them you have a boo-boo. 
For those of you who've been listening to me for a while, you'll know when I go off tangents like this, it's usually because I have nothing else to say about the movie. And in this case, I don't. This has been done so many times before that I can't even pretend that it's going to be good. Sure, the action looks okay, but that's it. If movies like this are your jam, just like I said last week and the year before, year, yeah, the year before, every time a movie like this comes up, I say this, if this kind of movie is your jam, then you'll watch this movie because you like this formula so much that it's worth it to you. But for the rest of us who just see movies like this and go, okay, that's pretty cool, the first time, maybe even the first 10 times, this time we're over it. So unless you see it up on streaming somewhere and even remember this movie at all, there's no way you or I will ever see it, and I recommend you skip this just like I will. The Hunter's Prayer gets a 3 out of 11. Next up on this week's list of movies is a movie called Megan Levy. This is based on the true story of Marine Corporal Megan Levy, who formed a bond with an overly aggressive dog, and the two became an inseparable team who saved lives by finding bombs in Iraq. When Levy was injured and sent home, she fights to adopt her dog when his tour is over. This stars Kate Mara from The Martian, Tom Felton from Harry Potter, Bradley Whitford from Get Out, Common from Smoke and Aces, and Edie Falco from Nurse Jackie. I have to be honest, I was prepared to write this movie off and talk shit about it, but then I saw the trailer. So let me explain why. Not why I saw the trailer, that's obvious, because I clicked play, and I played. <laughs> why I thought that. The reason I was ready to hate on it is because the poster and premise made it look like it was going to be some feel-good movie that's going to capitalize on easy movie bait. The bond between a human and a dog, and especially one set during the backdrop of a war we're all familiar with. The trailer, however, showed a different story, and I'm so glad I actually have integrity and like to learn about things. While this is a movie about a woman and a dog and the bond she shares with it during the war, there's more to it, so it doesn't just capitalize on this easy premise. And capitalizing on this easy premise and how it's not doing that is kind of what I'm going to be focusing on in this talk, just because that's why I'm a little more impressed with this movie than I normally would have been. Kate Mara plays this antisocial person who wants to do something with her life and finds her calling in the Marines. And why not? Because when I don't like being around people, what better thing is there to do than join the military where you're forced to be around a bunch of people, right? Of course, that's probably why I am a lazy piece of sh and she's a hero, but, you know, that that may have nothing to do with it. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. So let's get back on track. Kate Mara plays this woman, antisocial, winds up in the Marines, somehow ends up in the dog program. I don't know what this program is called. I could have Googled it, but at this point, dog program sounds much better of a name. Pooch Patrol. Pooch Patrol sounds like a better name. So she somehow ends up on the Pooch Patrol and forms a bond with an antisocial dog. This dog was really mean and would snap at people, bite at people, but Kate Mara comes in and goes, hey, dog, stop it. And the dog's like, okay, I never thought of it that way. I'm sorry. How about I love you for the rest of my life? And Kate Mara's like, cool. So that's that part of the movie. So I did that for you. There we go. You're welcome. So we're going to get growth out of two characters in this. We're going to get the growth from Kate Mara as she maybe doesn't make a full flip from antisocial to, oh, look, I'm the life of the party, but at least finds herself. And I think that's a better storyline than having an antisocial person make a total change because that's not realistic. And what is more realistic is someone who could have like fear of crowds or maybe not just fears like Kate Mara just didn't like many people finding a way to cope or find what she's good at. 
So this could be more realistic in that way. So we get the growth out of her with her finding her place and go from the dog because it's no longer snapping and all mean towards people. And it's like super nice now, which is a little more realistic. This movie doesn't feel cheap. And that's what something I really like about it. It could have very easily capitalized on its uh, some very easy target audiences, but it didn't. This is going to tell a true story and it's going to stray away from from standing on a soapbox preaching about stuff, but instead just going to tell the story about human growth, animal growth, and the relationship between them, which makes this a movie that could be one to watch even in theaters. Because who knows, you may not want to see the big movie this week. You really may not want to. And maybe you've already seen Wonder Woman. Maybe you've already seen Guardians of the Galaxy. Maybe you've already seen the big one so far. So you're like, hey, I want to see a movie this week. The big one this week doesn't interest me. Go see this. It looks good. Either way, this is going to be worth a watch, whether you see it in theaters or you wait for it to come out. Megan Levy gets a 7 out of 11. And with that, my friends, we have one movie left before the break. And that movie is called My Cousin Rachel. A man plots revenge against his cousin's wife, who he believes murdered his cousin. But when he meets the mysterious Rachel, he finds that she's not the person he thought he was or the person described in his cousin's letters. Instead, he starts to fall for her, but starts to lose his mind and scare people around him. That stars Rachel Weiss from The Mummy, Sam Claflin from Me Before You, and Ian Glenn from Game of Thrones. If this plot sounds old and outdated, it could be because it's based on a book by Daphne du Maurier, who was first published, or this was first published, in 1951. This is the same author who wrote the books that Alfred Hitchcock turned into movies, Rebecca and the Birds. But, of course, the thing with Hitchcock is, quick, quick aside, he was famous for doing whatever the f*** he wanted. In some cases, he would just buy the rights to something to use the name and then do something completely different in his movies. So I'm not sure how close the movies and the books are for the Hitchcock films, but for this one, it could be a little closer. So maybe we have never actually seen one of Daphne du Maurier's books, or stories that is, on the silver screen. So I have never read these books, and I have never read this book. I've never read My Cousin Rachel, so I have no idea how closely it closely it's going to stay to the book. I do know that if Hitchcock did this movie, he would have changed the sh** out of it. This movie is going to be along the lines of Jane Eyre, but creepier. I know Jane Eyre was a period romance drama, but it had a creepy vibe to it too. This one is going to have that vibe when the main character starts to lose his mind. Of course, this one could lean more towards the mind side of things, like Shutter Island or A Cure for Wellness did. The trailer was heavy-handed when it came to Rachel giving Philip tea, trying to make this question, oh, I wonder what's in the tea. It could be very sloppy on their part because either they gave us the the smoking gun or they're being clever and showing us all this stuff to set us in one direction before we see the movie and then come out of nowhere and go oh actually it has nothing to do with what we told you it was going to do in the trailer the cool thing about this film is that philip could be crazy pants retarded and his cousin was crazy too and rachel is innocent and just acts weird and makes people suspect her that's what I would really like to see. Something different. But it could be that Rachel is evil and the trailer just handed us the way she killed her cousin. 
This is an older book, so it could be that simple. It could be that simple because maybe back then, maybe in 1951 when this was written, this wasn't a played out idea yet. And the farther back movies go, when when someone wants to make a movie, the farther back they go and they grab a book, they grab source material, material from the past, the further back they go, the bigger the chance that we've seen it a million times before. So even though it's a new movie being made, even though the book did it first, we have seen it in other shows that may have taken... Their ideas from that story, but now it's going to be old. So based only on the trailer for this movie, just like I do in the show, base everything off the trailer, it could go either way. This could be very interesting. There could be a great twist, or it could be an old story that was new when it was written, but they waited too long to make a movie. Either way, we have on our hands a period romance thriller. And even if the story goes in a very interesting direction, this is still a movie that only certain groups of people will like. Old British period pieces aren't for everyone, which is why no matter how good of a show Downton Abbey was, there were certain people that will never watch it just because this type of story isn't for them. If this sort of story, if you like movies and shows like this, then check this out. But I do not think this is going to be worth a theater watch. Even if this does go a unique way, nothing about this screams theater watch at all. If you want to enjoy it, do it from your own couch. Do it with whatever snacks, whatever dinner. Do it over dinner. Have a good meal. Have a glass of wine and watch a movie. But do not watch this in theaters. Even though it could be interesting, there could be an equal chance that it is old. My Cousin Rachel gets a 6 out of 11. And future fans, it is time for that break, but this time we have a different word from a different friend. Normally we have words from the Somewhat Nerdy Radio guys and the Nerds of the Squared Circle, but this time we have a promo from our friends at The Bloodlust. Stay tuned. Do you like horror movies? So do we. Fucks his little eyeballs yep. out. Do you like American Horror Story? So do we. There are some butts. Yep, killings. Yep, butt. Yep, killings. Butt. Yep, killings. It's over 90% cheek. That's your butt. You see the essence of the butt. Are you into vampires dancing in mesh tank tops? Us too. I was mesmerized by the mesh tank top and leather pants. Are you into high-minded film critique and discussion? Because we've got that. And it is beautifully filmed. Like, it really... Just the stark contrast of colors, like you said. Not your thing? How about a dick joke? His dick, dude. He put his yeah. dick in a f***ing dick. Come on. We've also got one dude to give dude perspective. Zombie apocalypse is no time to have your head in the pussy clouds, Mickey. This is survival. <laughs> Thank you. So head over to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen, and subscribe to The Bloodlust, your go-to podcast for classy broads and a token dude talking horror. All right, welcome back. What did you think of that promo? Something different, right? Something different. We like different, and we like movies. Guess what? That is a podcast you can listen to. I started listening to it. It's good. They love horror. They know a lot. Like, if I ever tried to go on their show and talk about horror movies, I would embarrass myself. That's how much more than me they know. A couple episodes ago, they talked about Train to Busan, which is a movie I talked about when it was released back in July of 2016. But, you know, I just talked about the trailer and what I thought of it. They actually saw it. And I should watch this because from the sound of it, this looks like a good movie or sounds like a good movie. They also did an episode just now on the revival of Twin Peaks. So check out their show. You can listen to it anywhere you listen to podcasts. They give a full listing on their promo. But if you love movies 
and in particular if you love horror movies, give them a listen. Well, back to the show, everyone. The next movie on the list is called It Comes at Night. An unnatural threat is terrorizing the world, and a man has built a secluded home in the woods where he keeps his family safe. One day, he runs into another family while gathering stuff in the woods and invites them into his home. And that's when everything starts to go wrong. This stars Joel Edgerton from The Gift, Christopher Abbott from A Most Violent Year, Carmen Ijogo from Selma, and Riley Keough from American Honey. See, it's fitting that I come back from the break talking about this movie, because this movie is a horror movie. It may teeter more on the edge between thriller and horror just because a lot of it is going to be about the paranoia that starts to build in between these two families when they're hiding from whatever the hell it is out there. Like a big part of the story is that the main guy says, you know, when unless we're going out for a purpose, the door stays closed. And one day they all wake up and the door is open. Why is the door open? No one knows. But the door is open. Something could have gotten in. Maybe it got in. They didn't know it. What the hell's going on? We're all scared now. So that part feels more like a thriller. But other parts in the trailer made it seem like it's actually going to be a horror. Like there's this part where the zombie looking person who doesn't look like a straight up zombie though. So I don't think this is a zombie film is like vomiting blood into someone's mouth. And it could be a dream sequence or whatnot. But there's another scene where the main character looks like he's a zombie thing. But that could be a dream. It could be part of the paranoia. But still it's going to use fear, which is the mainstay of horror. So this movie is probably going to be more of a psychological horror. That is at least until we figure out what's going on. If we do, because this is a movie uh, that's brought to us by A24, who is famous for doing these indie movies. And we all know with indie horrors, they don't actually have to answer anything. How did they defeat the Babadook? They scolded it. Why did that work? Who knows? It's an indie horror. You don't have to answer sh- Early reviews for this movie say it's going to be good. There's a lot of hype behind it, but also quite a few people saying that this is really, really slow. That even though it, the movie only comes in at 97 minutes, that, it, that it's going to crawl at a snail's pace at times. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Artsy horror movies are always so hit or miss because the wrong director, the wrong writer will try too hard to make it artsy and it just flies over everyone's head except either the most dedicated horror fan or the douchiest indie film lover. This movie was compared to The Witch in a couple reviews. So use that for your basis on if you want to see this or not. Did you like The Witch? Did you hate it? That I found has been a very polarizing movie because I thought it was okay. My fiance hated it and quite a few of my co-workers thought it was great. They're more likely and people like them are more likely to give a movie a chance if it's indie. So please keep this in mind when you're thinking about whether or not you want to see this film. I want to see this movie just because it looks interesting, and worst case scenario, I just spend 97 minutes of my life just watching crap. And after all, I watched both Ninja Turtles movies, uh, both of the latest Ninja Turtles movies, so I've done far worse with my time. I really can't say more about this movie, other, okay, other than the fact that it's going to build a lot of suspense. Who do you trust? Uh, wow, this is the second movie like this this week, where you don't really know who to trust. What's going on? Oh my god, who's behind this? Is anyone behind it? Am I just going crazy? That could be what this movie is. Or it could be that when the door was opened, something came in, infected one of them, and now it's spreading. So It Comes at Night has a lot of promise. But the trailer has done nothing to tell me that it's going to be a sure bet. 
Not at all. So I'm going to skip this in the theaters at all costs. I bet you this is going to come out on some streaming service and then I will watch it because I don't want to spend money on this. I really don't. The next two movies, I want to spend money on. I will watch them. This one, I may watch it if a streaming service gets it. It comes at night. Gets a 5 out of 11. Next up is a movie that almost made it as my pick of the week until I took theater watchability into account. That movie is called The Hero. An old movie star has to come to terms with his past by making things right with his daughter. At the same time, he gets a second chance at a career as a video he's in goes viral and offers start to come his way. This stars the stranger himself, Sam Elliott, Laura Prepon from Orange is the New Black, Nick Offerman from Parks and Rec, and Kristen Ritter from Jessica Jones. You know how I've said before that if an idea is tired, it can still be saved by the right actors and the right spin on the movie. This right here looks like the perfect example because a premise on its own we have seen before. Like it was just done in The Comedian with Robert De Niro. It was done in Mr. Saturday Night with Billy Crystal. This has, this has been done a million times before. Some actor or other famous person was never a good parent and then must make amends later in life, but then something happens and their career starts to turn around, so they now have to balance that. We've seen this. What we haven't seen is Sam Elliott in this role. The spin they put on it is, uh, th there are a couple of them, and they're small ones, but there's enough of them that this doesn't feel like a fully stale movie. Sam Elliott plays an old Western star who did one good movie, or maybe a lot of good movies if like someone like me watched him, but to him and to critics, one good movie. And he has trouble finding jobs now because he's older, Westerns aren't a big thing, but somehow he meets this younger woman, played by Lara Prepon, and they kind of fall for each other. Even though he's in his 70s and she's maybe, maybe 30s, they didn't actually say in the trailer, but at this point in her life, Lara Prepon could, could either play a 20-something or someone older, depending on how they present her. The way they dress her in the movie, she could easily be anywhere in that 20-year range. But anyway, he meets this younger woman, and they, they fall for each other. Then he gets offered this award for Lifetime Achievement Award for great greatness in Westerns by some by some group that loves Western movies. I, I forgot what they said. Something he does on on the stage when accepting the award goes viral and thus people see him again. And I wonder how many actors out there in in the real world that would have an effect on. How many forgotten actors or people that never got a second chance at, at making a big, if producers, if casting directors, if, di if directors saw them, how many of them would get a second chance? How many of them would be the next big thing if only they would get looked at? So this is a familiar story with small tweaks to it and with fantastic acting. And that is enough to save this from being written off entirely. Sam Elliott, is a great actor. He really plays just different variations of the same character, but he knows what roles to pick. He is very good at this, and he will never overreach, and he will never pick something that's exactly the same as something he's done before. It may be similar, it may be familiar, but he is good at picking his roles. In this movie, it looks like Sam Elliott can, can play himself if he had lived under different circumstances. I don't know what his relationship with his family is like, and he's definitely he's definitely not a nobody because he continuously acts, but he can play himself in this, so any dramatic scenes we get from him will be that much bigger, that much better. 
This is going to be a touching movie because this is going to hit us right in the feels, especially when it comes to father-daughter relationships. So this movie is in good hands when it comes to acting, but it's also in good hands when it comes to writing and directing. This was directed by Brett Halley and written by Brett Halley and Mark Bash. If you've never heard of these people, don't be surprised. They haven't done a whole lot, but their biggest film that they did together was back in 2015 called I'll See You in My Dreams and stars, stars Blythe Danner, Rhea Perlman, and Sam Elliott. And this one was about a widow and former former singer discovers that she can begin her life again. So guess what? Same basic idea, bare bones wise, same basic idea as the hero, but the hero goes a different way. I think everyone should check out this trailer just so you could see what I saw. This movie looks like a well-acted movie, looks like a well-written movie, well-presented and well-directed, even though it's based off such a familiar story. But guess what? There's enough in it. There's enough good in it that overwrites the fact that we're familiar with this. So this isn't the wrestler all over again. This isn't the comedian. This isn't Mr. Saturday Night. While this can be easily thrown into the same list of movies those would go on, this is going to be its own thing. Everyone should check out the trailer for The Hero, and everyone should watch it. And for those of you waiting for me to say, but just don't watch it in theaters, I have to say, if you have a chance to see this on a big screen, because I really don't know how big of a release this is getting, but if you have the chance to see this on a big screen, it may be worth it. True, there's a bigger movie coming out this week. There are actually two bigger movies coming out this week, and we're still in the middle of blockbuster season. But if you want to see a good down-to-earth drama with good acting in it and something really heartfelt, then this could be it for you. Of course, if you don't want to watch it in theaters, like, I, I don't have a lot of free time between work and this. So with that, I don't think I'll see this in theaters, but I will watch it at home, maybe even own it. That's how much I am willing to bet this is going to be a good movie, that I will own this before even watching this. The Hero gets a 9 out of 11. And finally, future fans, it's my pick of the week, and you have to know what movie that is, because it's been advertised everywhere. That movie is called The Mummy. After being imprisoned in a sarcophagus for millennia, an ancient princess is awakened, and with her, her wrath. This stars Tom Cruise from The Outsiders, Sophia Boutella from Star Trek Beyond, some Kiwi named Russell Crowe, Annabelle Wallace from Annabelle, Jake Johnson from Let's Be Cops, and Courtney B. Vance from American Crime Story. You know, for as much hate as Tom Cruise gets, he is box office gold. I mean, if you go around asking people what they think of Tom Cruise, it won't take long at all until you find someone that just hates him. They may hate him because he does a lot of blockbuster movies. They may hate him because he's a Scientologist. They may hate him because, like Christian Bale said, in his interview about American Psycho, that he has a smile with lifeless eyes. Whatever the reason, you'll find a lot of people who hate him. But also, you're going to find a lot of people who end up loving his movies no matter what they think of him. If Tom Cruise does a movie, it makes money. Period. It may get universally panned, but it still makes money. Also, Sophia Botella is someone who came out of nowhere. I mean, she's been around since the early 2000s and has a big background in dancing. And mainly until she did Kingsman, The Secret Service, she was 
only seen as dancers in music videos or music and dancing related movies. Like, that's it. And then once she did The Kingsman, she exploded. I mean, looking at her early work in IMDb, it's Madonna, Celebration, The Video Collection as a dancer, or Michael Jackson, Hollywood Tonight as lead dancer. And then after Kingsman The Secret Service, she did one movie that I've never heard of, and then Star Trek Beyond, Atomic Blonde, which is coming out this year, The Mummy, Hotel Artemis. She's suddenly a big name. This movie has a good cast, and it also has someone working on it, the director, who knows what they're doing. This is only the fourth movie that director Alex Kurtzman has ever done, but this guy has produced a lot of stuff. TV shows like Hawaii 5.0, Scorpion, Sleepy Hollow, Limitless. He has done movies like Star Trek The Proposal, Cowboys and Aliens, Star Trek Into Darkness, Now You See Me, The Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man 2, Ender's Game, and so on. This man is always working. So while he may have only directed three previous things, he has produced so much stuff that he has to know what he's doing by this point. He's also set to be working on Star Trek Discovery as one of the head writers. Anyway, back to this movie at hand, back to The Mummy. This is going to be an over-the-top action movie. That is ridiculous. And what else do we really want in the middle of summer? Nothing else. Movies like this are safe for a good reason. They're not bad. But they don't have to focus on being amazing when it comes to anything other than visual effects and action. This has good acting in it, but nothing that's going to be too memorable or nothing that's going to win any awards. So everything in it is going to be just as good as it needs to be. And then it's going to have great visual effects, great action, and over-the-top plot. It's going to be exciting and it's going to get you pumped. When your action and your visual game is on point, everything else can be hovering in that mediocre to good range. What actually made me really happy about this movie when the first trailer came out is the fact that it's not tied into or a remake of Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. Because I love those movies. I still love them. I own the collection that just came out because they were they were really good movies. This one, I'm really glad, just went its own way. It's doing its own thing. Sophia Boutella's The Mummy, but somehow Tom Cruise gets cursed and can't die. Dr. Jekyll is involved somehow. The story is really out there, but then again, this really isn't the thinking person's film. But here's something to think about. This is supposed to be the beginning of Universal's Dark Universe, where they retell the tales of all of the great and classic Universal monsters. They're already working on The Bride of Frankenstein uh, before Frankenstein for some weird reason, but they're already working on The Bride of Frankenstein. Dr. Jekyll is in this, even though I don't think Dr. Jekyll is an official Universal monster, but well, there's that. But here's the thing. Warner Brothers in DC kind of already has the rights to Dark Universe. I'm not sure if they fully own the rights or if, since they have talked about a Dark Universe before this, if they can file for the rights or whatever. It's all legal mumbo-jumbo. But this is being called Universal's Dark Universe, and they may have to change the name even though they've already started calling it that. So far in this Dark Universe, they know they're going to be doing Frankenstein, The Bride of Frankenstein, Dracula, Creature from the Black Lagoon... Phantom of the Opera, Hunchback of Notre Dame, and The Invisible Man. Some of them have already been cast. So obviously we have the cast of The Mummy. So far we know Javier Bardem is going to play Frankenstein's monster. Johnny Depp is going to be The Invisible Man. We've already mentioned that we have Russell Crowe as Dr. Jekyll, who rumors say is going to be like the Nick Fury of this universe, who's going to be the head of this organization that somehow deals with these monsters. Another rumor has it that Dwayne Johnson is being looked at as the Wolfman, and Angelina Jolie is being looked at as as the Bride of Frankenstein. So whatever this universe is actually going to be named, if they get to keep 
dark universe or if there's going to be a fight for it. Whatever it's called, we know where this is going. And we have the start of it right here. You know, I realize I talk down about action movies quite a bit and, and some are blockbusters quite a bit as mindless but I think that's something great about them is you can, if they're well done, like this one looks well done, you can go in it and pay close attention and come out happy. Or you can go in bombed off your ass and still enjoy it. These are movies for everyone. And I think everyone should give this one a shot because this is going to tell us how the Dark Universe is going to go. We're going to have imaginative retellings of classic stories. And I think they're going to be so different that it's going to be okay. So we're not going to have these old stories ruined, per se, just because it's going in a completely different direction. So we can we still have these old movies to love. And we can go into these new ones not having to compare it to the old one just because it's so different. So let's finish up talking about The Mummy. has good actors in it. It looks visually impressive. Impressive. It looks exciting. It looks like the story is going to be good with somehow Cruz ending up fighting this supernatural being. Sure, it's going to be formulaic, but it's a formula that works and there's enough in it. There's enough new stuff in it and enough good behind it that we can forgive this formulaic movie. That's why The Mummy is my pick. The Hero may be a better movie, but this one is going to be something amazing to watch in the theaters. If you're going to watch this movie, do so while it's up there in big, bold colors with a great surround sound. The Mummy gets an 8 out of 11. Alright, future fans, it is time for the question of the week. And last week, we asked the question, or I asked the question, what movie or what comic book do you want to see turned into a movie? So the stipulations were it couldn't be something that was already in the works. So we got a couple answers, and here we go. The first answer we got comes from the Uncorked Gamers. They say... Kingdom Come or the Sandman dollhouse storyline. I know two darker DC-owned properties, but two great stories. He finishes it up by saying the Corinthian, who was a nightmare created by Dream in Neil Gaiman's Sandman. And Kingdom Come, if you don't know, is a great four-issue series by DC, and it's about Superman, you know, disbands Justice League after all, after this hero, new hero comes out who has no qualms about killing, and the public is really behind him, so he's like, nope, f this, I'm out, and he bounces. Years later, things get bad, and he comes back because Wonder Woman says, hey, you should you should come back and fix things, and it, it's about that. On the SoundCloud front, we have Frat Matt replied, and he said, Gambit is on the list, sort of, but I doubt it ever gets made. And that's true. That movie has been bounced around forever. Uh, I believe it's gone through quite a few directors. There's rumors that Channing Tatum is going to be in it, then Channing Tatum wasn't going to do it, and now he's going to do it again. There has been so many changes to this movie that's not even in pre-production yet, and so much back and forth that I agree with Frat Matt. I don't think this is going to get made. It may. It, once X-Men has run its course and once Marvel has, is done with its with this storyline that's going to end in Avengers Infinity War, and then we see where they're going to go from there, then maybe we'll finally see Gambit. Of course, Sony, I believe, owns Gambit, and we'll see what they do. As for me, there's a couple a couple options I thought of. The first is a comic book series called Suicide Risk, which is by Boom Comics, and it's it's really good. It's about this cop who lives in this world where people can buy superpowers. Like, there's this drug or something that gives you superpowers, but the problem is a lot of people who get these powers either die fighting the bad guys or just like a quote from the Dark Knight, 
live long enough to see themselves become the villain. In which case, any superhero that lives long enough eventually goes crazy and turns into a bad guy. So this series is about this cop who watches his partner die and then tracks down this drug and turns into a hero and tries to fight this urge to go crazy. It would have to be a multiple movie series because it's a big story, but I think they can condense it into a trilogy. And something else I would love to see, not as a movie though, but as a TV show that would have to be done by like Netflix or some non-network source would be Fables. Fables is my favorite comic book series ever. It is amazing, and I would love to see it on the screen. Oh yeah, that was another the other stipulation, was that when you answered this question, you had to say so, assuming that they're going to get it perfect. And actually, we have a answer for a question from two weeks ago from our good friend Ken at the Watch Your Mouth podcast. He said that, if you remember, that actually the question was, what movie had your favorite classical score? And he said, to answer your question, the first few that came to mind were 2001, and Equilibrium. And he says, even though it's not out yet, the trailer music for War of the Planet of the Apes was killer. And it is. The, the trailer music for that movie was amazing. And I hope that's actual movie music that they put in there and not something from Audio Machine or one of those other movies that specialize in trailer music and not one of their, well, not one of their songs. So thank you, Uncore Gamers. Thank you, Frat Matt. Thank you, Ken, for answering. I really appreciate it. Now we have to think of a question for this week. So the question I'm going to ask, and the one that will be answered next week, is what is your favorite movie? Give me a top three if you'd like, or tell me just what's the top movie, whichever you prefer. So why am I doing such a big question for next episode? That's because, my friends, the next episode is the one-year anniversary of Future Flicks with Billiam. I wanted to do something special for the episode, but I just couldn't think of anything that wouldn't just be another movie night or anything that just didn't seem that special. So I'm just going to do my regular episode and just going to have a bigger question. And if I think of something bigger, I will do it. I will do it for the one-year anniversary. But other than that, tune in next week for the one-year anniversary of Future Flicks, which is going to be a normal episode. And with that, my future fans, episode 46 has come to a close. So let's end this with the housekeeping. You can find me on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, Tumblr, and any podcast listening app, as well as the Somewhat Nerdy website. That's somewhatnerdy.com. I'd really appreciate it if you take a few minutes out of your day to give the podcast a rating. Please give me five stars. Let's up the number of five-star ratings we have. Thank you if you've already done it. It means a lot to me. It truly does. And just like Somewhat Nerdy and Watch Your Mouth say, even if you didn't like the show, give a five-star rating. And in the comments, let me know. Let me know what I did right. Let me know what I need to improve on. And how do you reach me? Great question. Leave a comment for me on the Somewhat Nerdy website or the Facebook page. Leave a comment on SoundCloud. Hit me up on Twitter, BilliamSWN. Email me at BilliamReviews at gmail.com. Instagram, Tumblr, BilliamSWN there as well. Be sure to check out the Somewhat Nerdy Radio and Nerds of the Squared Circle also on the Somewhat Nerdy Podcast Network. And don't forget to check out the Watch Your Mouth Podcast and the Uncore Gamers to other fantastic podcasts. The Watch Your Mouth podcast next week, I believe next week, or is it this week, should be coming back from their mid-season break. So right back at it, right back to swearing for a good cause. And I missed this week's episode of Uncork Gamers. I'm sorry, guys, but this episode was just taking me way too long. Don't forget to check out the Somewhat Nerdy site for all of the latest blogs and news. And finally, my dear friends, my dear, dear listeners, my future fans, please remember that no matter where life takes you, no matter what your week has in store, 
just take some time to catch a flick. I'm Billiam from Somewhat Nerdy signing off. I'll see you in the future.